amendment. Quarter after. Oh, it's been real cold. It reminds me of Michigan. Of course, Michigan's a little bit colder. Just a little bit. Around here, if you wear socks in the house, that's cold. All right, I'm continuing in Sunday school on lessons about the life of Christ. And if there ever was a person to learn about the, in history, it'd be about Jesus Christ. And I do assume that for the Christian, we are familiar with him, but sometimes we overlook some things throughout the year, a year. And so I'm going to spend some time teaching about the life of Christ, and it'll be a long, drawn-out uh, series of lessons at 9.30. And then uh, I'm thinking about postponing Exodus. I began Exodus three months ago, then I took a break because of December and the birth of Christ and the life of Christ. And so I'm kind of debating what to do if I should just continue the life of Christ or go back to Exodus. So I'm kind of on a seesaw about that. Honestly, I'm not sure what to do about it. I'm enjoying both of them. And so um, if you give me some feedback, I might that might be uh, the stone that makes me go one way or the other, all right? So if you don't say anything, I'm just going to go by any, meeny, miny, mo. And that might be a good thing, but I'll, I'll try to teach the Bible anyway about that. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be in church. And thank you for giving us hell to be able to come to church. A lot of folk, some that we know and others we don't know, are unable to get out of their bed to get dressed and um, do normal things and go to the car, drive to church. They can't do that because of their health. And here we are. We are able to do that, and we appreciate that. We appreciate our freedoms. And now we pray for your blessings on this lesson, on the class, and also others too. And we ask you, Lord, to help us to honor Jesus Christ today in what the Bible says in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's come to Mark chapter 1 to begin. We have seen Jesus getting baptized. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And so that was one of the first things that would lead to his public ministry. Baptized by John the Baptist. I abbreviated him as JB, John the Baptist. And then right after that, he's going to be led into the wilderness to be tempted. So the temptations of Christ, and then after that, he's going to call disciples. 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 From where I stand, that doesn't look right, but I'm going to say that's spelled properly. All right, so let's come to Mark chapter 1, verse number 12. Mark chapter 1, verse number 12. Had a real good time at the uh, senior living home, assisted living home yesterday. Appreciate you folks who came out to sing and uh, treated the seniors with uh, kindness and just nice to them. One lady wants um, somebody to go back and spend time with her. Her name is, her last name is Kim. I did not know that, but she said, I said, Kim? Of course, a lot of Kims in Hawaii. And she said, yeah, you know, Kim, kimchi. I said, really? Yeah, my grandfather started the business, Hom's Kimchi. I didn't know that. Kind of interesting, yeah? And then she called me, later. we exchanged phone numbers. She called me and she says, hello? What do you want? I said, oh, I'm sorry, you called me. She said, I did. <laughs> and we're driving to the, um, the fisherman, you know, and she said, uh, I said, no, you called me. I said, oh, yeah. Anyway, so eventually you may get to that stage, which would be a good thing because you're still alive. Mark chapter 1, verse number 12. Mark 1, 12. Uh, verse 10 and 11 tells us that he was baptized. 
And the verse number 12 says, immediately. And that is the tone of Mark. Mark is, Mark is the gospel that is high speed, high gear, freeway, 70 miles an hour kind of thing. He is on the go. He gets right into it. And he bypasses everyone in the slow lane. Verse 12, and immediately the spirit driveth him, Jesus, into the wilderness. Verse 13, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. Now, in one verse, verse 13, it gives you the whole summary of what happened to Jesus when he was tempted. So we talk about the temptation of Christ in the wilderness right now. And after he has identified with sinners by being baptized, uh, Jesus then identifies with them in temptations. Now, we have to remember this. Jesus Christ as the man, as the, the incarnation of God on earth, still in the physical body, a normal man, he is subject to the normal things of a man. So I want you to know that from the book of Hebrews, he has done this to do one thing and to make the point. And you need to know exactly why he became a man and why he was driven into the wilderness to be tempted. Come to Hebrews in the, in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. There's a lot of contrast with what happened at his baptism as we look at him being tempted in the wilderness. First of all, the Spirit of God peacefully rested upon him like a dove when he was baptized. Now he is going into the wilderness for spiritual conflict. The waters of Jordan were cool, but now he's in the wilderness where it's going to be very difficult and very hot. Uh, he was with the crowds when he was baptized, and now he's going to be alone to be tempted. Uh, he heard the assuring voice of his father in whom I'm well pleased, and now he's going to hear the voice of the devil. What a contrast between his baptism now him being alone in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Hebrews 2 verse number 14 tells us very specifically the reason why he went through this temptation. Chapter 2 verses 14 through 18. 14 through 18. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same flesh and blood. So he's talking about the Son of God who became a man, flesh and blood, which is a mystery. This is something not only hard to understand, but it's also something that has been previously hidden from us, and now it has been revealed to us that this is who he really was, God in the flesh. That through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So number one, he came to die for us and to destroy the power of the devil. Number two, verse 15, and deliver them who were who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Interesting, verse 15 says the fear of death. Now, most people who are normal will say, I don't fear anything. Most people, men especially, I have seen women do very strange dramatic things like jump off a cliff now when you jump off a cliff you have to consider angles and the space so that you have to clear that i've seen people jump i've seen women jump off a cliff 
not on a dare, but because this person was athletic, she has skills in diving, and so there's friends around her, and they're giving a countdown, three, two, one, go, and she jumps off, and she jumps off, and she's dropping down maybe 80, 100 feet into a body of water. She misses the rocks by about a couple of feet. If someone calculated, and she's a daredevil. Speaking of daredevils, you know this guy named Eva Knievel? Eva Knievel and his son Robbie? They're both known to be daredevils, jumping over hundreds of buses. You know that guy's broke just by every bone in his body? Which is like, why would you do that? And he has drawn a lot of attention and became very popular, even his son. But uh, there are some people that don't fear death. There was a, I don't know, F-14, F-15, I'm not sure the jet was, but it was, it lost power and it was coming down funny. And so the pilot ejected and he landed safely. Why did he do that? Well, he is trained in that event to do certain things. But most normal people are afraid of dying. That's not wrong. That is not being a coward. Uh, this is why we go to doctors, we take medicine, we take supplements, we work out, we exercise, we try to stay healthy so that our life is extended. No one lives and says, I want to die early. Now, if a person thinks that, something is wrong in the clock here. Right? Something is missing, some screws are missing. Most people live a long time, which is pretty normal. Now, here it says in verse number, where was I? 15. 15 and deliver them who through fear of death, fear of death. There's one way to not fear death. There's one way to not fear death. Death is inevitable and death is fearful and people don't want to face that door. But the one fear of death that you can overcome there's only one way you know what the one way is no Christ is your savior which means you have eternal life having eternal life is the one thing that will give you confidence and peace that when you die you be with Christ and that gives you peace of mind and peace of heart and you don't fear death you don't want to die too soon but when it happens, you're not going to fear it because you know Christ. You want to be sure you know Christ is your Savior. That's the most important thing. Verse 15 continues. We're all their lifetime subject to bondage. Verse 16. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. It's interesting to me how when you go through the Bible, you don't intend to teach certain things, but it teaches certain things. Many times when you go through the Bible, it covers territory that you would not otherwise teach on. But as you cover verses, it teaches things and you have to say something about it. So here in verse number 16, he took not on him the nature of angels. Do you realize that there are some religions that say that Jesus Christ in eternity was an angel? Major religion, not minor, not small type, not insignificant, but major millions of people in this religion, they teach that Jesus was once upon a time an angel. But it does say, he took not on him the nature of angels. That is very important to know about who Jesus Christ was and is. He never was an angel. He never did become an angel to transfer into the Son of God. Never did happen. He was always the Son of God. 
never had anything to do with angels except they were subjected to him and they serve him. He never was an angel. Now you might be wondering, what religion teaches that? Well, if you ask me, I'll tell you. What religion is teaching Okay, I have to tell you the answer because you asked me. All right, LDS. You see them all the time in Walmart. They wear white shirts, the men do, and they wear a tie, perhaps, and they have a little placard right here on their shirt pocket, identifying themselves. It's always in black with engraved white letters, and it says, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. Okay? Now, they do that, and also, the Jehovah's Witnesses, these two major religious groups, we call them cults because they follow a man leader, not the Bible, the man leader. And they both believed that in eternity, Jesus Christ was an angel. And then he graduated. He overcame by an arm wrestling match. As a matter of fact, let me just um, emphasize this. In this group here, they do believe this is their official teaching. And when I, when I say this, I'm not saying that they're bad people. Because most people that you know in these groups are nice people. They're decent people. But what we look at is the theology of these groups, we look at the doctrine. That's the important thing. And so we don't we don't criticize them harshly, uh, personally. It's not a personal thing. It's just a matter of what what do they teach? They teach these things. And uh, Jesus was an angel, a spirit brother of Lucifer, and they had a wrestling match, a combat, a, a, you know, king of the hill situation, and Jesus won, so he became the savior. Now that's just uh, Marvel comic books. That's Marvel comic books. That's uh, pure fiction. So we go by what the Bible says, not what a comic book says. Of course, the comic book is a little more serious than that. I just term it like that to help you to see that fantasy and reality is not the same. All right, so here we go, verse number 16. He took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, human, flesh. Verse 17, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, Jews, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Verse 18, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So he's able to comfort people Believers, because he experienced what they would experience. So every imaginable temptation that a man could face, a woman could face, Jesus Christ would face in his temptation in Matthew 4, Luke 4, and Mark chapter 1. So let's go back to uh, Matthew now. We saw what Mark said. Now come back to Matthew chapter 4. Let's take a minute to look at the temptation of Christ. There was a movie put out, I don't know how many years ago, called The Temptation of Christ. And... Uh, I didn't see it. I just heard about it. And I can assume because it was not a Christian publication or, or a production, it was from a secular group. I can imagine that they took liberties with the true story about his temptation and embellished it. And so we won't use a movie as our theology. We'll go to the Bible instead. All right, so let's go to Matthew chapter 4. It says, To be tempted, verse number 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness, to be tempted of the devil. The first thing you notice about this verse is that the devil is a real person. He was tempted by the devil. Jesus was a real man. The devil is a real person. He's not a physical being because he's a spiritual being. 
and uh, he doesn't have a body, but he came and he perhaps embodied himself in flesh or something to communicate, to talk to, to dialogue with, to, to tempt Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ is a real man in the flesh. Now he's talking to this person called the devil or Satan. Kind of spooky. Well, verse uh, number two says this. Uh, oh, by the way, this testing, this testing uh, to be tempted, uh, there's some ways to define the word test, temptation, depends on the context of the verse. But uh, you have the word test or temptation as in to take a test or to be examined. Uh, testing him, tempting him, he was tempted to be tempted of the devil. Uh, this would be in the context of to see um, if you would do wrong, to pressure him so that he would cave in, break down, and submit to the temptation and commit a sin or sins. That would be the sense in which this word tempted is uh, given. Have you heard of this thing called crush testing? Crush testing. Anybody crush testing? Crush testing is when people subject things to a test to see uh, the maximum pressure it can bear or the load it can bear. So they have this pressure things to uh, a concrete. Did you know that um, if this was concrete on a platform and there's this hydraulic press that will press down this piece of concrete and it's all measured and, and uh, calculated and uh, they're going to test to see how much pressure a thousand pounds, fifteen hundred pounds, uh, and it'll it'll come down, it'll squeeze, it'll it'll come down hard on this piece of concrete, this this, and the thing will come to a certain pressure point, it'll explode. Did you know that American concrete is stronger than Chinese concrete by test? Not because Americans said so. I mean, Americans say anything, Chinese can say anything, anybody can say anything, but the way to really know if something is so is if you put it to the test. So test is in the sense of how much pressure can it take and will it break? Uh, so pressure tested. Jesus Christ was pressure tested. He was pressure tested. He was squeezed. He was choked. He was strangled in a sense. Something came down heavy on him to cause him to break. Like crush testing will break something. Well, this is an important thing in construction because when you build something, you have to make sure that the construction materials are strong enough to bear the load of, say, a high-rise. The pilings, the concrete, the mix of concrete or rock and whatever else is involved, you have to have just enough and the right amount of, of strength in the, in the composition of the material so that it can bear the load. So when there's pressure, it won't fall apart. When there's failure in uh, a construction project, it's because cheap materials are sometimes used and it can't bear the load. You know, right now there's a lawsuit in Hawaii, uh, I met a man who was a lawyer for a class action lawsuit about these these ties for um, hurricane ties. Manufacturers using cheap materials for hurricane ties, uh, they were rusting on something like that. And he was telling me that, oh, we're gonna win this case. I said, well, you seem to be pretty sure. He says, I know because we have tested the materials that they used. We know what, what they chose. They chose the cheapest one poorest quality, not the best quality, the more expensive one. They chose the cheapest one for the hurricane ties. He says, we got them. We got them. When the strong winds came over a period of time, these things rusted or whatever happened to them. And when the strong winds came, it, it broke. The cross testing 
just destroyed it. And he says, a lot of people get sued with these manufacturers and these contractors using cheap materials. Crash testing is important to uh, see if they can handle the potential pressure of things. Jesus Christ was tempted by the devil. The devil tried to crush him. And did he, did he succeed? Did the devil succeed? So right now, I'm just telling you that Jesus Christ was tested severely like no man was ever uh, tested. And in verse number one, again, it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now, this was very personal because the devil came to him and tested him, the Son of God, very personally. Now, the devil may tempt you, but he may not tempt you personally. He might send someone else to tempt you. He might send uh, so-called demons. The Bible calls them devils to tempt you. So if the Lord has a, a spiritual body, a spiritual army called angels, and he does, they are ministering spirits. The devil also has, because he's a counterpart of God, he also has ministering spirits too. They're called in, in, in the Bible demons. And so there's a host of them, and they are, they are assigned or sent out by the devil himself, the capital D, not the small d, to go out and harass and tempt God's people to pressure them, to try to crush them. Okay, you get that image in your head. But he's not the one who generally comes out to you. I mean, think about this. It makes sense that he would come to tempt the Son of God himself personally because of who the Son of God was and is. But we are so far below the status of the Son of God. Why would he himself tempt us? He might send somebody else to tempt us. Does that make some sense? It happens to be true. Now. He might send, um, he might send what the Bible calls devils, but also the devil uses people. Do you realize that the devil uses his own spiritual forces, but he also uses people of flesh and blood to cause people, to tempt people to do wrong too? Do you realize that? So your enemy primarily is not the devil, it's your flesh. But the devil is your enemy too. The world, the flesh, and the devil. But the devil uses other people to influence you to do wrong, to sin. So he can manipulate, he can whisper ideas, he can, he can cause a person to do something towards somebody else. And uh, so all these things are in play. So I'm saying he does not normally personally attack you, but he personally attacks Jesus Christ because of who he is and who he was. All right, so this is an important thing here. So also, notice that Jesus was tempted severely, verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, obviously he was after it hungered. Now, fasting 40 days and 40 nights, that is pretty severe. A month and 10 days? Now, who can do that? You need water, you need food. But Jesus Christ fasted. Now, in the Bible, the number 40, the number 40 is the number of testing or trials. And so very consistent throughout the Bible. And after Jesus had fasted 40s and 40 nights, he's hungry. Most teenagers are hungry after not eating for eight hours. And I'm hungry. We have some friends who are now adults, and uh, they, they're kind of cute when they're small. And we heard them say sometimes to their mom, Mama, I'm hungry. Mom, they're from North Carolina. Mama, I'm hungry. Well, it's kind of funny, you know, because they had just eaten something. 
but people get hungry after a few hours. You can have a buffet. Oh man, I wish pizza had a buffets again, but they don't have them anymore since COVID. Shucks. You know, there's not a real good Chinese buffet in town. Frank, you know that, Francis? There's even chance for the airport, it's gone. It's about time they're gone because no one likes their food. <laughs> but um, there's not a real good Chinese buffet around. If you know one, let me know. I can't find any. I know there's one in Greensboro, North Carolina, and Tyler, Texas. Those two places have good buffets. And in Wilmington, North Carolina, those three places. Funny how we remember food places. <laughs> Important things in life. And so, uh, what was I saying here to break up myself? Um, uh, food, crust tasting, no. Um, <laughs> fast, oh yeah, fasting, okay. Um, oh, after you've had a real good meal, you're so full, you're sick of food, aren't you? Now let's be honest a little bit here. If you've eaten till you can't eat anymore, which may not be a good thing to do, but you just don't want to see food anymore. When pizza was around, uh, some of the guys would go there and just eat as much as you could eat and would count the, the crust to see how many pieces uh, we ate of pizza. It's kind of like, you know, a notching on your hand off the gun. <laughs> One, two, three, seven, eight, nine. How much did you eat? Well, whoa. And then you try to eat two more just to get your money's worth. And so, uh, but then after you're sick of pizza, you're sick of pizza until you get hungry again. Then you want it again. Well, can you imagine? I think you can. After 40 days and 40 nights of not eating, he was weakened in his body. He was weakened emotionally. He was weak, open, vulnerable to temptation. And do you know that when you're weak in your body, when you're sick, you don't feel well, you're not as spiritual as you'd like to be when you're not sick? So can you imagine the condition he was in emotionally and spiritually and physically and the devil comes to him. Isn't that nasty of him? To come to someone when he's down? To come to someone where they're not feeling the best? To tempt someone when they're more likely to give in to temptation? Learn the lesson here. The devil comes to people and tempts you when you're not your fittest spiritually. When you're not your fittest physically. When emotionally you're feeling kind of grumpy and cranky, you might be in a position where the devil says, hey, go down over here and bother, bother this guy because he's got, you know, um, some complaining, he's got some fussing, he's, you know, he's not happy about this and that, and so now's a good time for you to go and harass him. Yes, sir. And off they go to harass, give trouble, make trouble to people, Christians, who are not really healthy physically or even emotionally. And so the heirs of temptation, uh, summarizing, look at verse number three, and verse number four. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God. Well, he knew he was the son of God, but he says, if thou be the son of God, as if he wants to cast doubt in the mind of the Lord himself that uh, as to who he really is. Uh, trying to find out, uh, trying to find out, get a little edge in here, kind of a little weakness, in the chink in his armor to see if he had doubts that he was really the son of God. If thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Well, that'd be a good temptation. Hasn't eaten for 40 days. Anything sounds good right now, even Ritz crackers. When you're hungry, anything sounds good when you haven't had anything to eat. Isn't that true? Now, this was a pretty clever temptation. Command that these don't be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Verse 5, Then the devil taketh him. Okay, so the first temptation was the lust of the flesh. 
the lust of the flesh. You say, well, how can that be lust of the flesh if he needs to have food? Well, the lust of the flesh would indicate that he had to have some satisfaction about a basic urge, a basic need, food. And do you know that the devil tempts people over something as basic as a basic need? Now, a basic need is not wrong to, to have fulfilled. Food, water, clothing, shelter. It's not wrong to get these things because they're basic to living. But basic needs is one area in which the devil will tempt a person, especially a Christian, to sin. Because though the need is basic, though the need is legitimate, though this is something that you've got to have to live in this world, sometimes the pressure comes to get it illegitimately, to have a basic need fulfilled illegitimately. Well, what's the basic need that a man has? Or a woman, let's go pick on a woman now. What's the basic need that a woman has? To be liked, to be adored, to be admired, to be called pretty and all those kind of things. That's the basic need of a woman. What's the basic need of a man? To be respected, to be admired, to be looked up to, to be strong, to be dependable. All these things are basics to the makeup of a man and a woman. And it's not wrong, it's just how God made us to be this way. But the temptation is when a man tries to get all these things in a wrong way. So he'll cheat, he'll lie, he'll take steroids to be good looking, have the big muscle, all these kind of things. He'll do something wrong to fulfill a need that he has. A woman does the same thing. She would do things to make herself more attractive or she'll do things to make herself more appealing to people because she has this need to be uh, thought of as beautiful. And so this is how the lust of flesh can come into play practically. And so, for Jesus Christ, it was to satisfy basic need food, but for him to have turned bread, stone into bread, would have been wrong because it would be preempting God's plan for him. Let's look at the next test, the next temptation, verses 5 through 7. Then the devil taketh him up to the holy city, and setteth him in a pinnacle of the temple. We're talking about 200 feet. And he saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, Cast thyself down. Oh, by the way, he says, if again. You know what the devil does? The devil comes back and tempts again and again and again. Doesn't just tempt one time. He gets after you. He keeps on nipping at your heels. You ever see hyenas? Hyenas? Is that how you pronounce hyenas? Huh? Hyenas. Those dogs. <laughs> you know they hunt in packs and visit a lion and a uh, male lion or a uh, female. It doesn't matter to them. If a lion uh, is by itself, they will attack that lion. They will overpower the lion by numbers. They will bite over here and he'll turn over here and then the bite where he has turned and you know, they just overpower. They will chase a lion away. They'll steal the lion's kill. They're nasty. They're they don't quit. They just keep on after it. And the devil's like that. He's like a that kind of an animal. He will go after and keep on going after and keep on going after. And so in verse number six, if thou be the Son of God, cast thy step down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, that at any time they, thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus saith unto him, It is written, again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So the second temptation was about the crown of life. If he would jump, he is so important to God. That the Lord's going to come down and in a miraculous way catch him like Superman before he hits the ground. The temptation here is pride. The temptation is presumption. The temptation is that uh, the Lord it, it thinks he is so special and precious, the apple of God's eye, that he will stop everything 
that is doing the universe and immediately rescue him. Well, that is the temptation here and uh, the pride of life. Since you're so precious. Presumption. Number three, the third temptation, verse number eight. Again, the devil take them up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth them all the kingdoms of the world. Keep that word in mind. And the glory of them and saith unto him, all these things, kingdom, things, all these things. You know what people like in this world? They like things. You know what people want in this world that makes them happy? Things. If I don't have the newest thing, I won't be happy. If I don't get the iPhone 55, I won't be happy. If I don't get the new device, I won't be happy. If I don't get an 800 inch screen, I won't be happy. People just want things. Now look, consider this. Things are not wrong, okay? But people lust for things, they crave things, they gotta have things and um, just can't live without things. Verse number nine, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. The devil did want worship. The devil did want worship in eternity and that's why he got rejected out of heaven because he won the glory due to God, the Son of God, to himself. Jealousy, envy. And so he wants the Lord to bow down to him and worship him. The thing you want to see about the temptation is that this is about the pride of life or this is about the lust of the eyes. A desire to have things that you can see. So he showed him everything on his pinnacle. Look west, look east, look north, look south. Jesus, all that you see, all that you see, I can give to you. The kingdoms of this world, I'll give it to you if you just bow to worship me just for a half a second. That's all I want. What a good deal. Just half a second on your knees, look to me and do this to me. That's all I want. And I'll give you all of these things. Question, are you thinking? Could the devil have given Jesus the kingdoms of the world? So think about that. He offered it the kingdom of the world. Could he have given it to him? Lord, you want that kingdom over there? You want that kingdom over here? You want that over here? I'll give it to you. Could he have given it to him? He offered it to him. Could he have given Jesus the kingdoms of the world? Now you need to be thinking here. Think about that and we'll talk about it in just about 10 seconds. Okay, 10 seconds are up. Could he have given all the kings of the world to Jesus Christ? Who says yes? Now commit yourself. Who says yes? Okay, and who says no? Okay, who says I'm not sure? Who says, I'm not awake? <laughs> All right, okay. Number one, who owns everything? God owns everything, right? He made it, he owns everything. Number two, who is a liar? Who's the father of lies? Who lies to people? The devil's a liar. Number three, number three, who is the God of this world? Okay, so we got a little thing going on here. Number one, God owns everything. How can the devil give what's not his? That's one thought. That's a thought. Number two, if he's a liar, could he say, I'm going to give you all of these things, but really not be able to give all these things? Can he say, I'm going to give you this, but not deliver it? Is that possible? Is it possible that he's such a good liar, he can convince people to get something, or want something that he promises them, but he can't deliver on them? That's possible. So you have these things in play. What is the answer to this? The answer to the question was, could he have given him the kingdoms of the world? Okay. Are you now more confused? Okay. Because he's the God of this world, 
Second Corinthians 4, 4, small g, he possibly could because he has dominion here. Possibly could. But, but, he's not the owner of everything. So, if he does give it to anyone, he'd have to do it by permission. The father has to give a stamp of approval, say, okay, for my purposes, go ahead and do it. So he could give someone fame. He could give someone money. He could give someone a lot of um, what he wants if he sells his soul to the devil, so-called. Do you remember this old black and white TV? You, you folks are under 40. You don't know what I'm talking about. I'll just bring you up to speed. There's an old program called Those Black Yankees. It's about a baseball player who could never be a Yankee because he wasn't good enough. And so he sold his soul to the devil. He wrote a contract. There was a sign this. The devil did. And he signed the contract. So for one year, one season, this guy became a great star on the Yankees team. He got what he wanted. The devil granted that to him. He worked out all the details so he could become a team player for the Yankees, become a star. At the end of the season, the devil comes up to him. He says, okay. The guy says, okay, what? He says, you got to come back now. Come back, why? Well, because the contract says, what contract? He forgot he signed the contract with the devil. This is all made up stuff, but it makes a point. And so the devil got this guy because he had a contract with him. So he gave him what he wanted, but he had to sell his soul to him. Ends up in hell. Well, that's a story, but sometimes stories point to a truth, subtly. The devil can give people things that they want, but it's a huge price to pay. And temporarily they get what they want, the satisfaction, the thrill, everybody pats them on the back, oh buddy, you're know, invited to all these events and you're, you are a famous person and you're a celebrity, everything, you, you get what you want. But um, yeah, what a cost. So he's tempted. So I think this, I think the devil could have given him the kingdom of the world. But why was that a temptation? Well, it's a temptation because Remember this, what was Jesus promised to have one day? Here's the root of the, the temptation and why it was so wrong for him to accept the temptation. What was he promised to have one day? The kingdoms of the world. The kingdoms of the world will be Jesus Christ one day when he returns for his millennial kingdom. And the whole world will be his then so this was getting him to get something that was already his ahead of time. Without going through the huh? Without going through what he had to go through. And if he had accepted the kingdom then, you know what he'd have to bypass? He'd have to bypass this. He'd have to bypass the cross. And if he bypassed the cross, then there would be no salvation for us. There'd be no resurrection. There'd be no coming again. So that was very clever. It's packed with all kinds of lie here, all kinds of deception here. But he offered it to him, to him. And so he's going to get his kingdom. Don't worry about that. All of it's going to belong to him. Um, now, he overcame the temptations. I'll just quickly say, because you saw the verses, verse 4, 7, and 10, by him quoting scripture. The Lord quoted scripture to the devil. It is written, it is written, it is written again. The devil came back again. The Lord says, again, I'm telling you, again, again, the scripture says, again, he can, again, the scripture says, so three times the temptation comes, three times he punches back with the uh, scripture. 
That tells me the Lord knew exactly who he was. There's no question about who he was. There's no question about what he thought was the, uh, how he would have victory over the devil. Oh, by the way, that is also how you have victory over the devil. The scriptures, the word of God. If you trust in your flesh, you're going to fail. You're going to be a victim. You trust the flesh. You trust your own personality, your own strength. Oh, I, I, I'm my own man. Uh, no one tells me what to do. I'll, I'll tell the devil, get away. Yeah, you try that. All right? Then look at verse number 11. Verse number 11. Verse, then the devil leaveth him after he quoted scriptures to him. Then the devil leaveth him. Isn't that good when the devil gets off your case? You ever have somebody on your case all the time? Doesn't that irritate you? Especially if you're innocent. Some some supervisor comes up to you and say, how come you didn't do that? I did. And your co-worker goofed up. And uh, it was his it was his snafu. And then you get the blame for everything. Well, that's not fun. And you, you get busted and you get all kind of extra duty because of that and you don't get promoted in your job, whatever. No matter what the situation is, uh, it's not a good feeling to have someone accuse you of something that you're not guilty of. Then the devil leaveth in. And isn't it good though when, when you're justified and you're vindicated, when everything comes out in the open and you realize, and especially when your boss realizes, you know, I'm sorry if they ever apologize to you, you know, I'm sorry. I, I thought this, you know, and uh, I didn't give a chance to speak up, you know, so I mean, I'm really sorry. You know, and you feel bad, but then you feel like, yeah, well, you should have believed me. <laughs> and then um, the devil leaveth him. And behold, notice verse 11, angels came and ministered unto him. So angels came to the Lord and ministered to him. Now, what did they do to minister to him? They ministered to Minister means to serve. A minister is a servant. Ministry is serving. It's not sitting around twiddling your thumbs and reading the Bible and praying, you know, and singing songs. That's not ministry. That's just worship. But what does ministry mean? Minister to him. I'll give you a clue from the Bible. The question is, what does minister to him mean? Well, <coughs> oh, let's see. I want you to come to 1 Kings chapter uh, 19. 1 Kings in the Old Testament, chapter 19. First Kings chapter 19. Angels came to minister to him. Well, he was pretty much battered. He wasn't broken, but he was beaten up. But he didn't he didn't cave in, he didn't fall under the pressure. So angels came to minister to him. Uh, think of think of a medic coming to a soldier who is wounded in combat. Think about that. The medic ministers to the soldier. Think about someone who goes to the hospital. They get ministered minister to. Think about someone. Okay, that's the idea here. 1 Kings chapter 19. In 1 Kings chapter 19, come to verse number 5. Now the backdrop of this chapter is Elijah had just had a great victory over the prophets of Baal. But the king, Ahab, oh, he was pretty shook up. But his wife was more mad than anything else. She was like a, she was like a, wall, a hornet. She was mad, boy. She was mad. You know, there's nothing. The the word is the saying is uh, nothing is as bad as a woman scorn. That could be very true. Some women, I tell the truth, they can be very, very, very vindictive if they are scorned. Here's a woman here. Her name is Jezebel. 
Jezebel was a queen, but though she had a title of queen, she was a nasty person in her heart. And when she became queen, her nastiness became a right. And she had the army behind her, therefore she did anything she wanted to in her nastiness. Well, after the victory over the prophets of Baal, um, she threatened this prophet Elijah. Elijah was so brave to go and defeat 850 prophets of Baal by himself, one man against this whole group of devilish priests, and he won the combat. But then she threatens him, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. You just wait. You won today, but tomorrow I'm going to get you. You better, I'm gonna, if I get my hands upon you, I'm going to squeeze you and squeeze you like a ketchup bottle. The squirts out. So, Look at verse number one. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more so if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by to whom tomorrow uh, by tomorrow about this time. I'm gonna kill you like you killed the prophets. Verse three. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. What does that mean? He ran for his life. You ever see people run for the life? You ever ran for your life? Okay, you're terrified. You don't want to die. And when he saw that he rose and went for his life, he came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He kept on going. As far as he can go away from Jezebel. And came and sat down under a juniper tree. For our purpose, we'll say a coconut tree. <laughs> And sat under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might. I just want to die. And he said, It is enough. I've had enough. I can't go anymore. I can't do anymore. I've had enough. This is it. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Verse 5. We're coming up to the ministering part. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him. You've heard a proverb called touched by an angel? They probably got that from this verse. <laughs> then the angel touched him. And he said unto him, Arise and eat. Verse 6. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon of the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink. And went in the strength of that meat, of that food, forty days and forty nights. Now, the angel ministered to him, and the angels ministered to Jesus Christ. You know what the angels did to Jesus Christ? Gave him food and gave him drink. You know what he got? Food and drink. He got rest. He was comforted. He was nursed. He was nursed by the angels. You know what? You know what people need when they get beat up? Not like that as severely, but they need to be nursed. They need to be ministered to. Sometimes what somebody just needs is a good meal. Sometimes what needs just something to drink, something, something to drink, not like beer, alcohol, you know, like something to drink to refresh their body that's worn out. They need some sleep. They need some fellowship. They need some company to encourage them. That's what they need. And Jesus Christ was ministered by the angels. Now, that's what happened after he was baptized. Immediately, he was driven off to be tempted by the devil before he commences his public ministry. 
before he called the disciples. So I don't have time now at this, at 1020, to get into the calling of his disciples, but I have a whole page I want to cover about, about how uh, Jesus chose his disciples. Do you know how he chose his disciples? Did he walk back, uh, Mark, let's say, okay, I want you, I don't want you, I want you, uh, and I don't want you, and no, I don't want you, you're too short, I don't want you, no, your nose is crooked, I don't want you, uh, I want you because you're just the right height, I want you because uh, you're not, you got a beard belly, I want you because, you see, that's not how he did it. And he didn't call the disciples all in one day. It was a process of time. And did you know this? The men that he called to be his disciples were men that he knew because they lived in his town and around his area. So we'll get into that. And then we'll get into, after that, we'll get into the first miracle at Cana. And we're going to ask the question, what was the wine that he turned water into? Water into wine. He's at the wedding feast in Cana, chapter 2 of John. His first miracle, he turned water, six water pots full of water into wine. The question is, is it wine, wine? Is it wine, another kind of wine. There's different kinds of wines in the Bible. What kind of wine did he turn this into? Now, people like to drink. People like to drink, say, ah, look at that. Jesus turned water into wine. I can drink. Well, that's the logic that people have. And even some Christians think it's okay to drink because Jesus turned water into wine, an alcoholic beverage. Well, did he? Did he? And at the last, at the Lord's Supper, at the Lord's Supper, uh, there's bread and wine. So what is that wine that the apostles drank at the Last Supper? Was it a fermented drink or was it something else? I hope you're interested enough to be back to learn what that will be because it's important to know what that wine matter is. Okay? Now I'll say this and we'll stop. I'll stop. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do, you're going to do. Okay? What you want to do, you will do, no matter what anybody says. If you think wine is alcoholic drink, you're gonna say you're gonna justify that. You will. And if you if you want to do something because you want to do it, you're gonna do it no matter what the Bible says. My suggestion to you is to stop being so bullheaded and say, what does the Bible say? And if it's true, I should I should think about this in a different way. And that's just that one issue. Okay? Are right, any questions so far? All right, let's take a break. There's some, there's some stuff.